Our scripture this morning is from Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and let your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And Father, we continue this morning to just just continue the prayer, humbly realizing who you are. God, when we look back and see how you have worked in the past in such a powerful way. We're humbled to bow before you. We're humbled to, to bow in your presence and lift up our worship to you. When we look forward and think about what you're going to do, what you're going to be in the future, bringing your glory for eternity to yourself and that we'll have the opportunity to celebrate you forever and ever and ever. God, we're humbled to to bow in your presence. But especially right now, in this present moment, in this present day, God, we're humble to be able to lift up our praise and, and worship you. And, and I pray that the, the humility of our hearts will just draw us to an awareness of who you are and who we're worshiping. And God, may we continue to truly worship you in spirit and in truth as we look into your word and let your word continue to guide us to you, to draw us to you, to have a complete experience of worship, acknowledging you for the great God that you are, for the great, uh, wonderful creator that you are. God, we continue in your presence now and we continue just to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me to Psalm 90. Uh, 
We're going to continue today in our journey through the Psalms. Uh, three years ago, we took a section of the year, a portion of the year, and we, we traveled together through book one of the Psalms, Psalm 1 through 41. Two years ago, uh, we continued to unpack book two of the Psalms, Psalm 42 to 72. And last year, we took a portion of the year, for those of you who were around, and completed our journey through book three of the Psalms, Psalm 73 through 89. And, and this year, Lord willing, we're going to continue uh, through the, the Thanksgiving season uh, to, to worship by walking through Psalm 90 through 105, book four of the Psalms. So I'm excited to be back in the Psalms. Why the Psalms? Why, why do we take time to uh, spend energy and worship services on the Psalms? Well, there are three reasons that I can think of. There are probably more reasons, but three that I can think of. First of all, the Psalms teach us about the true nature and the true character of God. Uh, secondly, the Psalms teach us about the true nature and the true character of man, you and me. But thirdly, and probably most importantly, the Psalms teach us how much we need Jesus. How much we need Jesus, desperately. Over a pot of coffee and Morgan and I reading through book four of the Psalms, we discovered that this section teaches us how to give thanks. And so it's a great time for us to jump on board with giving thanks to God during the next few months of the life of our church as God tarries. I read this year about a famous cathedral in Milan, Italy. It's known for the three arch doorways leading into the sanctuary where people worship. Over the right entrance, there are these words etched into the marble archway. All that pleases is but for a moment. Over the left archway, these words are chiseled into the marble. All that troubles is but for a moment. Over the central entrance into the sanctuary is this inscription. All that is important is eternal. And that's where we're going to be for the next few Months. We're going to be looking at the eternal nature of our loving God. John Wesley is quoted as saying, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. He's talking about an eternal perspective. So what is truly important in the present is that which will be important a billion years from now. Uh, in this life, we often become consumed with what's passing away. We become consumed with the temporal. Uh, having an eternal perspective is essential to moving away from that pattern of the world and daily walking with God. See, the perspective of the way of the world is so short-term. According to the way of the world, happiness is achieved by things we buy, our possessions, by pleasure that we have, by possessions and power that we have. You buy this car, you 
uh, try this cup of coffee, you wear these clothes, you experience this event, you have these friends, you join this club, you pull for this sports team, and on and on and on we could go. The world we live in is all about being happy, which never enriches the soul. The inspired superscript of Psalm 90 that we heard read this morning tells us that this psalm is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So this psalm is a confessional prayer, giving thanks to God with an eternal perspective. What is a man of God? Moses is described, this, this psalm is described as the prayer of Moses, the, the man of God. Well, a man or woman of God knows that they're created by God. A man or woman of God actually knows God personally. Is that you? Do you know Him personally? A man or woman of God lives with God's perspective. A man or woman of God, like Moses, prays with God's perspective. So over the next few months, we're going to see how to do this, and especially today. That's how Moses lived, and that's how you and I can live as well. We can live and pray and experience life with an eternal perspective. Psalm 90 is probably the oldest psalm. It was written 1,400 years before Jesus was born. And as we worship through this psalm today, I want you to join me in picturing Moses as he led the children of Israel over what should have been just a few months' journey, but turned into a 40-year ordeal because of the rebellious heart of the people of God. Because of the rebellious heart of these people, they experienced defeat and disappointment and despair and ultimately death. So how did Moses anchor his soul in the heart of God through these difficult circumstances of defeat and disappointment and despair and death? Well, according to this psalm, Moses learned to live with an eternal perspective. And that's what I want you and I to learn to do today as well. We look to God with this eternal perspective for four reasons. So look at them with me. First of all, in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 90, we see that God is eternal. This is so important. Look at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, Moses was speaking directly to God. And you and I have that opportunity as well. If we're living with an eternal perspective, we don't just plunder through life on our own. We go to God and we talk directly to God. Moses recognized that he was addressing Eternal God, I don't know about you, but I pray that when you realize that you're speaking with God, when you realize that you're walking with God with an eternal perspective, that there's a sense of humility 
as you stand before God, as you bow before God, as you walk with God. Moses realized that he was addressing the God who had no beginning and no end. Wow! No beginning, no end. He always has been. He's always been the same. Moses knew what it was like to wander around with no place to call home. For 40 years, they wandered around in the desert, around and around in circles. And his only dwelling place and his only refuge was the ever-presence of eternal God. Are you living in that ever-presence of eternal God? Is He your dwelling place? He's available. He's, he's been the dwelling place of mankind from generation to generation. and He's available to you and me. Moses acknowledged that, that God always has been and God always will be. That's what makes Him God. That's what makes Him so special. Eternity for me. I don't know about you. But it's mind-boggling. I mean, it just, it just blows my mind to think about eternity. No beginning and no end. And the fact that God is eternal is one of, those, it's one of the most beautiful and yet one of the most humbling characteristics of God. And Moses understood that, and he's going to explain why in this psalm. Someone once said that you can't fully comprehend that God is eternal. A God who is small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. If we could understand Him, there's no reason for us to worship Him. So without the certainty that God is eternal, life is filled with questions. Life is filled with fear. Life is filled with desperation. All of our doctrines... All of our truths simply collapse without the reality of an everlasting God. Your whole life is like building a castle on the seashore in the sand, knowing that the waves are going to come around and just wash them away. There's no purpose to it at all. It's just going to be washed away. But that's not God. The Bible says that God is everlasting. In Psalm 100, the Bible says the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. Last Sunday evening in our Sunday seminar, we saw in Romans chapter 1, God's eternal power and Godhead. In Romans 9, 5, the Bible says that God is the eternally blessed God. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible speaks of God as, uh, in terms of God's eternal purpose. 1 Timothy 1, 17 calls God the eternal king, immortal, invisible. All truth in God's word hinges on the reality that God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's eternal. That's what makes Him God. He's eternal. Have you ever thought of what it might be like if God were not eternal? If God is not eternal, then we can't believe in an uncreated creator. 
We can't believe that he simply spoke creation into existence with the power of his words. If God is not eternal, we can't trust that he is the great I am. We can't be sure that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are the triunity, three in one. If God is not eternal, we can't trust the virgin birth miracle. We can't trust the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, everything about truth breaks down if God's not eternal. That's why it's so important for us to realize that He is eternal. And He draws us into His presence, which totally humbles us. The life of Moses was anchored in the eternal God. And my prayer for you today is that you will not go away from here without your life being totally anchored in eternal God. We were recently at the ocean with our grandson. It was a red flag day. We hate red flag days because you can't go out in the ocean. Not supposed to go out in the ocean on a red flag day. The waves were crashing in, violently crashing in. And this huge rock blew up on the surf. I mean, it was bigger than a football. And imprinted in this huge rock were fossils. I mean, actually prints of fossils. I don't know how old that rock was. It might have been 100 years old. Might have been 1,000 years old. Might have even been a billion years old. Even if it was a billion years old, though, that would not even have scratched the surface to how old God is. From everlasting to everlasting, Moses said, that's the God I want to put my faith and trust in. Moses says, that's the God that is my dwelling place. Moses understood that God was everlasting to everlasting. You can't go back and count how many years old he is. From everlasting to everlasting also means you can't go forward and find a time when God will not be. He always has been. He always will be. And He can always be trusted. He can always be depended on to be your dwelling place when you anchor your life in Him. Have you done that? Have you anchored your life in the ever-present God, in the never-ending God, in the God that is from everlasting to everlasting? He always will be the one true God because He is forever. He can always be trusted. He's beyond compare. God is eternal. So we can look to God and give thanks with an eternal perspective because God Himself is eternal. Secondly, we can look to God and give thanks with an eternal perspective because God is sovereign. We see that in verses 3 through 6. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight is or but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Are you aware that's the picture of your life. 
Moses recognized God for who he truly is. God is sovereign over life. In the Bible, over 300 times, God is called sovereign. Sovereign means that God has the right to make the rules for your life. He has the right to control everything, and that includes you and me. God alone has the right to control everything. He never changes. And because He created and because He alone has the right to be in charge of everything, He's in charge of everything past, present, and future. When you create a business, a business, you have the right to be in charge of what goes on in that business. The only difference in you being in charge of your business and God being in charge and sovereign over all of us and all of creation is that you are not perfect in all of your ways. But God is perfect in all of His ways. That's why He has a right to be sovereign over you and sovereign over everything. And Moses expressed the truth that man is created by God and compared to God, man is really nothing. Dust. Here today and gone tomorrow. See, God formed you. God formed man out of earth. And He breathed into man the breath of life. And God is sovereign, governing the length of man's life. See, God's perspective is different from your perspective and my perspective. God sees everything. You don't. God knows everything. You don't. God has everything that He's created in perspective, and you and I don't. A hundred years, Moses says, is like yesterday with God. We studied last month in Second Peter that a, a day in the sight of the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. God is not confined to time and space like you and I are. Consequently, He's sovereign. Life on this earth for you and me, for mankind, is very temporal. Especially compared to the eternity of God. And Moses recognized that life is quickly washed away, vanishing like a dream. Look at it, he says, springing up quickly like grass and then, poof, fading away. See, sovereignty means that God is in charge of the days of our life. My mother, who led me to Christ, died at 60 years old. If she were alive today, in fact, today is her birthday, she would be 90 years old if she were alive today. But God is sovereign over life. He had the right to give her those 60 precious years that allowed me to come to know Christ under her witness. And I'll celebrate in eternity forever and ever and ever with her when my time comes to pass from this life into eternity. God is in charge of man's days. And he has a right to be because he created us all. Moses walked with God through every challenge, every problem, every crisis that the children of Israel led him through. Moses experienced 
the death of more than a million men and women in the 40 years that they left Egypt before going into the promised land. He knew what he was talking about when he says life is here today like grass and passes away in the evening. He was talking from experience. In our world today, we're going to experience turmoil and uncertainty and fear and hardship and suffering and death. There's only one thing that can give you an unshakable hope traveling through this world. And that is walking through this life with confidence and faith and trust in sovereign God. Recognizing the fact that He is in charge. He is in control. Like Moses, for all of us who trust in the sovereignty of God, trusting in God's loving, good, perfect will, we can endure the the present difficulties of this world as our perspective becomes to look to Him as our anchor, as our strength. That's what Moses did, and that's what Moses taught us. God, in His sovereignty, allows things to happen that we may never understand. I know some of you have been puzzled. You've been baffled by things that have happened over the last few years. Maybe you've fallen into the trap of asking why. God, why is all this happening? That's the wrong question. The right question is to ask what. God, what are you trying to teach us through the things that have happened over the past few years in our life. Here are a few things that I've learned in the past few years, and I hope you've learned some of these as well. One thing I've learned is that unless Jesus comes back, everybody's going to (laughs) die. I'm going to die, you're going to die, everybody's going to die unless Jesus comes back. So because that is a true fact, living with an eternal perspective prepares us for death. We know it's going to happen. So be ready for it. How can you be ready for it? Well, some of you have heard me say this so many times, but it's so true. Admit that you need God. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that God has provided a way for you to walk with Him through Jesus. Put your trust in Him. Let the sovereign hand of God lead you through every day of your life after you put your trust and faith in Him. Have you done that? If not, do it now. Do it today because living with an eternal perspective prepares you for life, but it also prepares you for death. And you will spend eternity, I've learned this, either with God for eternity or separated from God in hell forever and ever and ever. No middle ground. So I've learned to be prepared for eternity. I've also learned over these past few years how critical it is that I need to be walking closer and closer to God every day. I need to be growing in my faith. I need to be growing in the knowledge of God. In the grace of God. 
I need to be growing in my personal prayer to God, my personal uh, devotion to God. I've also learned this. I hope you've learned this. I'm not in control. I'm not. And guess what? You're not either. Some people think they're in control of their life, but they are not. I don't know about you, but I am trusting God to lead me through this wilderness that I'm not in control over. I want to be walking with Him. I want to be walking in harmony with Him. Moses had his wilderness to walk through. You and I have our wilderness to walk through as well. Moses learned to be a man of God, to walk with God through the wilderness journey. And I trust and pray that you are learning the same thing as you walk through your wilderness journey. See, every crisis I experience can draw me closer to God. Especially when it comes to life and death issues. And I trust and pray that if you've not learned that, you'll begin to learn that today. Every crisis, every problem, every heartache you have can draw you closer to God. So draw close to Him today. When you put your faith in Him, you allow His perfect purposes to do two things. Number one, it brings glory to God. And number two, it puts joy in your spirit as you walk through the difficult moments of life. Have you learned that? So learn to look to God and give thanks because He is sovereign. Thirdly, we can look to God and give thanks with an eternal perspective because God is just. God is just. In verse 7, look at what Moses had learned. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. Now remember this. Moses knew and walked with God. And at this point in his prayer, he just opened up his heart to God. He was very raw. He was very transparent. And that's okay. That's what we should be when we come before God. See, in this part of the prayer, Moses recognized an attribute of God that frightens most people. The Bible says, and Moses underlines this truth, that God is a God of wrath. And there's a reason for that. God is a God of wrath because He loves you so much. He loves the world so much. Three things about God's wrath are true. Number one, God's wrath is warranted wrath. Number two, God's wrath is controlled wrath. And number three, God's wrath is absorbed wrath. So let me unpack that a little bit, just for a moment. God's wrath is warranted wrath. Why do I say that? Here's what I mean. Every human being hates God. We hate God. Our human nature says that we don't want anything telling us what to think. We don't want anything telling us or anyone telling us what to do. We don't want anyone to tell us how we should act. 
And God has put boundaries around his love for us to keep us in those boundaries so that he can protect us and so he can protect everybody else in the universe. See, God is sovereign. You have to remember that. God is eternal. He has an eternal perspective. He wants us to have that kind of perspective. So, would you agree with me that we hate anything or anyone that tries to control us? Who tries to control us? You're driving down an interstate highway late at night. Eight lanes are out in front of you. For 50 miles, the speed limit is 55 miles an hour. You get the picture, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to bump it up to 58. <laughs> Speed up a little bit. Because I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want anyone controlling me. You go to the store, you buy a new mattress. There's a tag on the mattress that says, Do not remove under penalty of law. What? I just paid $1,000 for this mattress, and nobody's going to tell me I can't rip that little tag off of there. See, we don't like anyone to control us. We don't like anyone to tell us what to do. And consequently, we hate authority. We rebel against authority. So here's the problem. Sovereign God, eternal God, created these protective boundaries for the people he created, for you and me. We have all stepped outside of those boundaries. We hate God. We don't want Him telling us we have to live inside those boundaries. Even though they're there because He loves us. They're there because He wants to protect us. They're there because He wants to protect everybody around our lives. So Moses said, just, you don't believe it, just play the video. Look at verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. So the video begins to play on your life. And God is looking at your life. And the standard for measuring your life is God. He's perfect. He's holy. He's just. He never makes a mistake. And he's putting your life alongside of his life. And you don't measure up. I don't measure up. We can't measure up. Because God is perfect and the standard is perfect. And Moses knew that because God is perfect, because God is just, God has to punish sin. He wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be just if he didn't punish those who stepped outside the boundaries. And so all of us deserve that wrath of God. Moses had seen his people commit sins, including sins of unbelief and sins of idolatry and sins of chronic rebellion against God. This word iniquity, in verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you. Iniquity means to bend or to twist or distort the standard of God, the law of God. It's being wicked and immoral in nature and in character. That remind you of anybody? <laughs> Just look inside your heart. And it's a demonstration 
when we rebel against God that we hate God. And so God's wrath, I say, is warranted wrath. We deserve what we get when we get the wrath of God. And there are consequences to our rebellion against Him. Look at verse 9. Moses observed that because God is just, sin provokes God's anger and has consequences. And part of those consequences are shortening life. Verse 9 says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. What does all the hard work the labor, the toil that you spend going after pleasure and possessions and power on this earth yield. Nothing. Poof. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Verse 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Trouble and sorrow and disappointment and death. Look at verse 10. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. And we fly away. Why? Because of sin in our life. We shorten our life. God's wrath is warranted wrath. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So we're moving towards a solution here. To fear God is to respect Him. That attitude is the best attitude to live with because God's wrath is not only warranted, but thankfully, God's wrath is controlled. God chooses not to pour His wrath out on us and give us what we totally deserve. So verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. There is hope. If we let God teach us to number our days, if we walk with God through this journey that we call life, God gives us a heart of wisdom. Moses confessed that it is wise to walk in integrity with God. God is just, but He's also chosen from the beginning of creation to control and limit His anger against sinners. Aren't you glad for that? God's wrath is different from your wrath, from mankind's wrath. Again, the purpose of God's wrath is to Show us how much He loves us. He doesn't just let us run loose toward the whims of our heart. He wants us to live within the the grasp of His love so that He can pour out His love upon us and pour out His love to others through us. So in this confessional prayer of Moses, listen to this now. He's warning us to wake up. To make the days of our life count. Every day is valuable in the sight of God. And only when we walk with Him on His terms and let Him love us by keeping us in the boundaries of His love can our lives 
daily be meaningful to him and bring joy to us. God controls his wrath against our rebellion. So we will learn to live a life of repentance and trust which produces in us a heart of wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom is applied knowledge. It's taking what God teaches us about himself and letting it be lived out in our life. So ultimately and thankfully for us, not only is God's wrath warranted, not only is God's wrath controlled, but God's wrath is absorbed. God has chosen to take the wrath that he pours out that you and I deserve on himself. Now, you think you understand God? That makes absolutely no sense. That God would take the full weight of all of his wrath, that God would drink the cup of wrath when you and I deserve it, but he chooses to take it on himself. The best picture I know of this is in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Just listen to the word of the Lord. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. God's wrath is absorbed wrath because he has absorbed it on himself, on your behalf and on my behalf. In God's greatest act of wrath, he demonstrated his greatest act of love. And again, the picture of that is that God became flesh, one of us. He lived a perfect life. He sacrificed his blood to pay the price for the penalty of your sin and my sin. What do we deserve? Well, we deserve the wage of our sin, the full wages of our sin, which is death. But God has taken that penalty on himself for you and me. How could anyone ever turn that down? How could anyone refuse the gift that God offers through Jesus? So when you put your trust in Jesus, this earth is the closest thing to God's wrath that you will ever experience. Aren't you glad? God's wrath is absorbed wrath. Now, don't misunderstand me. We studied last week in 2 Peter, the end of 2 Peter, that the day of the Lord is coming. Sin's going to be judged. And I trust and pray that you have put your faith in Jesus and you've made the commitment that you're going to spend the time that God gives you on this earth to bring glory to God so that you can truly enjoy the life that God has offered. Finally, this morning, we can look to God and give thanks with an eternal perspective, not only because God is eternal and sovereign and just, but thankfully, God is merciful. We've already talked a little bit about this, but look at how Moses turns this prayer to the mercy of God. In verse 13, he says, Return, O Lord, how long? 
have pity on your servants. See, Moses prayed for God's mercy. He said, have pity on your servants. Grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. I deserve separation from God. I deserve death. Mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. I do deserve punishment. I do deserve His wrath. But God is merciful. We deserve wrath. Moses prayed for compassion. He prayed for pity from God on His people. And that should be your prayer and my prayer as well, both for ourselves and for those in our family, for those in our circle of influence. In verse 14, he says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Moses knew that he and his people deserved wrath and affliction. I deserve wrath and affliction from God. But like Moses, I'm so thankful that God is merciful. He's chosen to pour out His mercy upon us. Mercy led God to restore His people with His never-ending love. So look at how Moses concludes his prayer. He says, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses interceded for his people. He prayed for future generations. You and I should pray that prayer as well. See, it's only because of God's mercy that you and I have the gospel today. It's only because of God's mercy that you and I have the good news of God's glorious power to change our lives, to be more and more and more like Him, to change the lives of people in our family and the circle of friends that we have. What we do with the work of God in our lives is critical. Future generations, if God tarries, can have the gospel if we are faithful to properly handling the good news of Jesus Christ. So in verse 17, Moses prayed for God's favor. He prayed for their work to be effective and enduring. He knew that God's wrath was warranted, but also understood that God controlled his wrath. So, we look to God with an eternal perspective because He is eternal, He is sovereign, He's just. And aren't you glad today that God is merciful? So here's the picture. We have three doors to choose from. Door number one, all that pleases is but for a moment. Some of you are going to just walk right through that door and live life that way. Door number two says all that troubles is but for a moment. Some of you are going to live life with regret and misery and despair. 
and you're going to walk down through that door, and that's futile. It's futile to do that. Some of you, though, and I would pray most of you, if not all of you, can choose to walk through that door that is most important, that's eternal. And living with an eternal perspective is the path to hope and the path to a future. Choice is yours, though. Which, which door are you going to choose to walk through today? Moses has led us there. Now we have to make the choice. And here's what I would challenge you by way of application. I want to challenge you today to live for God's glory rather than the applause of man or the pleasure of life or the power that you think you have by building relationships with people around you and so forth. Live for God's glory. John Piper put it this way. He said, don't waste your life. He had cancer. He said, don't waste your cancer. (laughs) Everything that comes along in life, don't waste it. Live for the glory of God. Give thanks to God by living for what is eternally important. You can invest your life in two things. You can invest your life in the Word of God because it's going to stand forever. My Word will not pass away, God says. The the Word of God is the written Word about the living Word of God. God is eternal. His Word is eternal. Secondly, you can live for the souls of other people because the souls of men are immortal. They're going to live forever in one of two places. So my prayer for us today is that we will live for what's going to last for eternity. The Word of God and the souls of men. God, I thank you today that Moses has put us in a frame of mind to focus on you in all of your glory. Because God, you are the eternal God. You are the sovereign God. You are the just God. And you are a merciful God. Today, God, I thank you that you are extending your mercy to some who have never bowed a knee before you and said, God, I I admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died for my sin. And today, I want to repent of my sin and turn away from my sin. And I want the rest of my life to count for bringing glory to you. Oh God, how I would pray that there's someone here today who would pray that prayer and give their life to you and let you take their life and turn it into a life of joy. A life that lives with an eternal perspective. And I also pray today, God, that you would give that you would wake us up, help us to make every minute count for living life through your perspective your eternal perspective. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen.